First slide up, that would be awesome. We're going to continue looking at Isaiah 61. The first four verses, we're doing a um, series looking at that particular passage of Scripture. And um, very important and dear to our hearts as a church, very important and dear, more importantly, to the heart of Jesus. So you can uh, see it behind, behind me here. I'll just read along. It says, this is Jesus's opening to his ministry. He, he reads this passage of Scripture, sits down and says, behold, this Scripture is fulfilled in your ears or in your sight today. Meaning that Jesus started his ministry with this as the reference point of what he was doing. Which is to say, in essence, this is Jesus' mission statement. And if it's Jesus' mission statement, and because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, it still is his mission statement. And because the church is, in fact, the body of Christ, this would mean that Jesus, indwelling people on the earth called the church, we now have this as our mission statement. He continues to live in us doing the same thing that he always did. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, which means good news, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to, uh, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called, or that they would uh, be, be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and they shall build the old waste, they shall raise up the former desolations, they shall repair the uh, waste cities, the desolations of many generations. You may see some of this uh, passage up there highlighted in kind of a gold text with underlining. That's to show something of a progression that happens in this text. And you see it starts with the gospel being upon the person of Jesus. And the gospel, by the way, is upon all of those who have become born again uh, through Jesus. The same spirit is upon us. And it starts upon man and anoints man or woman to preach good news to the poor. Does that mean that the gospel is only preached to people who kind of like are financially in dire straits? Last I checked, the gospel's been preached in every strata of human society. Poverty there is describing the condition of the heart. Sometimes material poverty can bring us to a condition of heart called poor. And the idea there is understanding your own need and welcoming it when it comes. Most of humanity, even many who are poor, like materially, financially, are not poor because of being unwilling to receive what God wants. The gospel, the good news, comes to the poor. And if you'll look, if you're going to go to the next slide, if you would, John David, the gospel goes to the poor, and that passage of Scripture says that it heals the heart. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to liberate the captives, which means that we can live in something of captivity. And I believe that that means self um, restrictive, self-destructive thought cycles and sin patterns and will ultimately actually appoint us, which is to say set us in our place in God's plan and that not only that, but healing, liberating, setting us into place will actually bring us to a place where we're called rebuilders of ruins. So that sounds like good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. And then, if you, if you go with me, go ahead to the next one. Rebuilders of ruins. Next one, John David. And then, as a rebuilder of ruins, now we are the one with the Spirit of God upon us, anointed to go share and give away everything that the gospel has done, Jesus has done in our own lives. Meaning that, if you go to the next one, John David, now what started in the gospel going to one person who is described as poor is now being multiplied, making disciples, multiplication, that same person is giving it away, and we kind of jokingly say there's four down there, but I say might as well, hey man, going so fast, 
kind of keep up with you, bro. There's four gospel going to the poor down there. I say, why not make it 12? Why not make it 100? And so the, the idea is those, those areas in your life that would be poor, those areas of brokenness, those are the very areas that God specializes in of not only bringing you into correcting, if you will, or making those things whole, of actually ultimately causing you to be a rebuilder of that exact same ruin in other people's lives. What I'm saying is, don't be discouraged if you've got some issues. Tamora had some issues this week. Faith in the, in the God of the good news leads us not only to having the problem fixed, I fully believe with all of my heart, Tamora is going to be a vessel who's going to cause other people to rise up in faith and when, when they're overwhelmed with inevitable circumstances to say, actually, there's a God who's bigger than this thing. Let me tell you about it. Let me testify of what he's done in my life. In that moment when Tamora hit that brick wall where I'm toast, she could have pulled her faith back and said, I'm toast. Somebody help me. Somebody feel sorry for me with me. How many of you would feel sorry for yourself? If your livelihood and your home and your, your kids' place of, of safety and security called home all was taken out from you like that. Maybe feel sorry for ourselves. Instead of doing that, and I don't know if she ever did, knowing her, she probably didn't. What's wrong with you? Instead of feeling sorry for herself, she actually dug in and said, my, I know something of my God. I know his faithfulness. I'm trusting. I'm expecting. She built up her faith, and God is coming through. I'd say he has come through, but looks like there's more to be done. <laughs> so there's still more. So, the, so becoming a rebuilder, as we looked at last week, because everybody in here, I believe something inside of you wants to be a rebuilder of ruins. We want to see the fulfillment of that scripture happening in our hearts. We want to see the poverty in our own lives transformed to where we don't only have the need met in our own lives, but we become a source of, of, make, of having many other people see the need met and see Jesus and find the kingdom of God, find victory. We want that. But according to that scripture, the process begins with the heart. The scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. So the issues of life, let's bring that into reality. My finances, my relationships, my, my relationships at, uh, at work, my marital relationship or my relationship with my kids, my all of these things are the issues of life. Life flows out of the heart. The rebuilding of ruins first starts in your heart. It actually doesn't start with the plumbing getting fixed. It starts with something called faith in the heart of, 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 of having good news embraced in your heart and it begins to heal, bind up the brokenhearted. And so we looked at that last week. The heart was broken because of believing a lie. And if, 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 and if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you go back to the beginning of the problem that we face as humans in this, in this world of sin, it started at the fall, Genesis, when, when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit. They bit into a fruit that was disobedience. Yes, that was a sin. That's how it started. But how did it really start? It started with words being whispered by the serpent that though the serpent didn't out and out say God doesn't love you God can't be trusted he implied it through what he was saying and his tactics remain the same today he comes with a lie into the heart ultimately that causes us to believe that God can't be trusted God actually isn't really good God does not therefore love you and if the fall is what introduced sin into mankind, and sin is the thing that breaks our heart. If you look at what has broken your heart in life, 
it's probably evil in this world. Well, what is that evil? That comes from the sin that came into the heart of man at the fall. In other words, there was no evil in the world before the fall. Therefore, there was no brokenness of the heart. As soon as sin entered in, sin began to work destruction. Sin released demonic activity into the earth. And sin is the thing, and the evil released into the earth through it is the thing that breaks our hearts. There are people who have been raped this week. There are children who have been molested this week. There are people who have been lying uh, for for their benefit at somebody else's expense this week. All of these things, these negative experiences we have in this earth begins to break our heart. There are things that we continuously don't see breakthrough and we, do, we wonder why and has God forsaken me and we experience these things in this fallen world and it brings destruction to our heart and the root of it is actually sin. And if the whole thing began with sin and sin began with believing a lie, are you following? Sin did not begin with people not being a good Christian. Sin began with being of a deception. And if it began with deception, guess what? The resolution to the whole problem begins with truth. Whereas it started with a lie coming into the heart of man, it is done away with with good news. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It's good news. It's a message. It's truth that penetrates into the heart that begins to heal the effects of the evil that has been released through sin. And so today, now you can go to that next one, Johnny. Today we're talking about healing of the heart, but in essence, I really don't want this just to be a message. What we're wanting to do is to facilitate an encounter between you and Jesus. Because it's not just good news. It's not just a message. It's not just words. It's not just even truth. It's experiential reality, relational connection in a real manifested sense that actually is part of the equation that brings healing to the heart. Let me say something as we get into this. Your heart cannot be healed if you're not desiring for it to be healed. You get what you want. James the Apostle said, you have not because you ask not. Do you know that it's possible to want something but to not have it simply because you never turned it into a request? And you can wonder why has God not done this and why? And and, and as simple as it is, you have not because you ask not. But even before we ask, we first need to even desire. And many of us have brokenness in our hearts that never see healing because we never come to a place of recognizing our need for healing. You want to become a rebuilder? It starts with allowing God in to the places of poverty. And if we don't see the brokenness in our own hearts... God can't find entrance. It's when we finally say, God, I need you. Come into this vulnerable place that I've tried to hide with fig leaves and tried to protect so that you don't see and so that other people don't see and make myself feel as though it's okay, it's all right. It's when we finally, do you know what I mean by fig leaves? Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves as soon as they had the fall so that they could, they saw that they were naked and they sowed fig leaves over themselves, it's when we finally allow ourselves to be seen as we are. Not seen as we are as in, I'm, I'm a okay just as I am, to see and to say, I'm not okay. Though you love me just as I am, if I allow you to see me, I come into recognition that I, there's, there are things that need healing inside of me. And it's as soon as we come to that place of agreement with God who sees the brokenness in our hearts before we do, and we finally confess that actually, God, I need you in this area, that we begin to experience his breakthrough and his healing in that area. 
And so I just want to start us off with a couple of thoughts here. That spiritual encounter, we're talking about encountering Jesus, encountering him. Spiritual encounter is actually the, a basis of healing. Now we've gone quite a bit to, over the past couple of weeks to say that, that the gospel is the basis of the healing of the heart, and it is. But if you'll look with me to the next slide, that scripture that we just read actually begins with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, which is to say before the gospel, I'm not trying to say the spirit of God is more important than the gospel. I'm saying the gospel, if you took that highlighted part of the verse out and it was just the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, if it's just the gospel, the gospel is not enough. Words are not enough. The message alone is not enough. Information coming to you is not enough. This scripture says that there's something necessary beyond that. And it's the spirit of the Lord God. Why is the spirit necessary? Why couldn't we just say the words? Why couldn't the information, the intellectual download of information be enough? There's something transferred. The heavenly reality the, the activity that is going on in heaven, there's something of that that the human being was, need, was created with a need to interact with and engage in heaven. And heaven only transfers into this world by means of the Spirit of God. It is when you share something that God has done inside of you, that the anointing of God can come upon you to cause your words to be more than just information, but cause a light to go off and even cause a person to experience something of an intimate encounter, even in a moment, with God. Lights go off. Something goes off inside of the heart. It's the Spirit of God. And I want to say this, that if I was to look at, at areas of my own heart where, where I've walked in a journey of, of God healing me, Although the gospel is absolutely fundamental, the truth of the gospel, his love, his forgiveness, that he came to me first, that I didn't go to him, that I can't earn his, his grace. He came, he came before I repented. He came to me, he pursued me. Those truths saturate my heart. They, without those moments of encounter where I've sensed his presence, where I've felt the whispers of his spirit speaking and making alive to me truths, without that, my heart, my head may receive intellectual information, my heart would not be healed. Without that, I wouldn't have the relational stickability to Jesus to continue to pursue him even when he's led me through horrifying things at times. It's the having been with him that my heart has turned and I've learned where else would I go? I'll follow him wherever he wants me to go. How does that happen? Encountering him. Hope I'm making sense. For me, when I got, became a, a, a Christian at the age of 17, um, I've shared this story often. I won't go into all the details, but the essence of it was a Catholic priest told me information that the whole point of the gospel was that I would know, or that we would know Jesus. And that, like, blew my mind. It's like, oh, you mean we're supposed to actually know him the way we know our closest friend? And when I went home that night, I went home and I remembered those words as I was going off to sleep and I was, began to pray. And I remember that that same priest said that, quoted the scripture, seek and ye shall find. And I remember going into prayer that night, and as I began to pray, I said, Lord, I want to be real. What I began to do without knowing that I was doing it, I began to remove the fig leaves. I began to say, Lord, I don't know you. And it was like the sense of heaven has known this truth all this time. It was I didn't realize my need. But I finally come to a place of recognizing there's something wrong and I need help. And the something wrong that I was seeing is that I don't know you. And if your whole point of the gospel, the whole reason you went to the cross 
was so that people could know you, then I have not become a beneficiary of what you did. I'm not experiencing the gospel because I can't say that I really know you. I know about you, I don't know you. And you, Jesus, said, seek and you shall find. And so I want you to know I'm seeking you. Help me to find. I don't even know how to seek you. Tell me how to seek you. As that happened, I began to sense the presence of the Lord. I felt his nearness around me. And I began to be led by the Holy Spirit. He began to somehow bring to my remembrance scriptures about repenting and confessing that Jesus is Lord and that you shall be saved. And I began to remember, I don't even know, out of nowhere, and I began to confess that I have sinned. I didn't, no one taught me how to get saved. The Holy Spirit did. What I'm saying to you is I had an encounter that night. I didn't just go through some prayer that somebody taught me to pray. I had an encounter, a, something that left a mark on me, something that I knew I met with Jesus last night. I know I had an experience with him, and I know he led me on how to pray, even how to seek him, that, to confess that I'm a, a sinner and I need to be forgiven, and to confess that he's Lord and to give my life into his hands. I encountered him. My life has literally not been the same ever since. What was that? Was it the gospel? Yeah. Was it just the gospel? No. The Spirit of God, an encounter that can only come through the Spirit of God. Knowledge and truth isn't enough. It needs to be experienced. So if you look with me, Genesis chapter 1, we were created. We've been going back into that a lot. We were created for spiritual fellowship. And, And by that, what I mean is encounter. We were created for it. Just think about that. We were created for this, for, for encounter. This thing that I'm describing is not like an optional add-on for Christianity. We were created for fellowship, for encounter, for experience. So in Genesis chapter 1, if you don't know what I, where I'm getting that, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. You see that up there? In our likeness. Let's pause there. We've, we've touched on it a few times in the past couple weeks, but I want to just say it again. In our image, in our likeness. And in that context, God had been making all sorts of things in creation. He'd been making various vegetation. He'd been making various animals. And it says that they all reproduced after their own likeness or kind, which is to say that in creation, God came up with this brilliant plan for everything to have seed inside of itself with a genetic code that could reproduce the same kind. And only referring to man does it say that he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, which is to say that we, and uniquely and only we, are the offspring of God. We alone have the genetic code of heaven. Now let me ask you a question. Does that mean That God is a big human-shaped form in the heavens. What does it mean that we are made in his likeness and in his image? Does God have an enormous forehead with humongous eyes and huge shoulders and nostrils? And does he look like a human? And what do you think? So when the scripture says, let us make mankind in our image, what does it even mean? Well, this, if you'll read down below, John chapter 4, this is why Jesus says, God is a spirit. We referenced Kylo last week. Kylo the new dog. I'm sorry, Kylo does not have a spirit. As much as we love him, maybe as a soul, I don't know. Mind, will, and emotions, but does not have a spirit. That weeping willow at Greenville Village that I walked by that I love next to the pond, beautiful plant, doesn't have a spirit. The only part of creation that, like God, is a spirit is mankind, and it's through that spirit that we have fellowship and intimacy with him, where we don't... You see, God 
God, how did Adam and Eve know God if he was a spirit? You can't see them, see him. He, he, they could see the garden. They could see the two trees. They could see the physical material world. How did they have fellowship? How were they engaging relationally with God? It was a spirit. They alone had a spirit inside of them and had spiritual dialogue, spiritual encounters, spiritual love that they shared with God. What I'm trying to bring us into an understanding is this is what sin broke. This is what fixes the problem. This is what is restored through the gospel. This is the source of the healing of our heart. Is the truth, the good news, which ultimately is simply this. God cannot love you more than he loves you. I mean, yes, there's more to it, but that's at the root. But that the spirit of God is the basis of that message being more than just a message. It's being an encounter. So the Holy Spirit is how we connect with God in heaven. So if you'll look with me, John chapter 14. Thank you, John David. I'm going to read from the King James Version because I do believe oftentimes, if, if you can bear with me, oftentimes the King James, even though it's not as accessible in our contemporary way of talking, it's oftentimes more accurate in its translation. And in this particular case, I believe that's the way it is. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says this, I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter. What do you mean by another comforter? What was the first one? He is the first one. You've been hanging around me. You've been receiving something of comfort, of strength, by being in my presence. I'm about to pray to the Father and send you another comforter. And what he's saying there is what you don't know is that the comforter I'm about to send, you already know him. Why do you already know him? He's speaking to the 12 who have been with him. Why do you already know him? Because you've been hanging around me and this comfort, this encouragement, this strengthening that you've been sensing, it's been the Holy Spirit on me. And what Jesus is saying is that that Holy Spirit that's upon me that you've become addicted to, you've been following me wherever I go, no matter where I send you, I send you sometimes into a boat into the middle of a storm and you're still following me. You become addicted to this thing on me. What is it? It's the Spirit of God. And that spirit is no longer going to be limited and only accessible through my earthly human body. What I'm about to do in leaving you is actually in your best interest. It's expedient for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will no longer be limited to me. He's about to be upon you and in you. You are going to live in a dimension of constant, open possibility of encounter. Are we following it? Another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Sin. Can I say that word in here? Yeah. It is not saying sin. Sin is the enemy. It's not about performance. So much of the church has been about condemning people because of sin. It's not about trying to rail over people because of their lack of performance. Every one of us has a sin nature. Jesus came to pay the price so that with a sin nature, until he returns, still having a sin nature, we can now have access to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can have access to us, it thus empowering us to break more and more and more that sin nature. Not so that we can perform better, so that we can be free. Because sin is the enemy. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither does it know him, but you know him. How do you know him? I didn't know the disciples. I, I didn't know that I know him. You've been with him the whole time. You've been looking at my earthly body, Jesus says, and haven't known that what you're really getting is something of the spirit of God that's been on the inside of me. But you know him, for he dwells with you. He's saying, because I'm with you, the Holy Spirit is with you, and shall be in you. Do you catch that? Minda does. You catching it? This Holy Spirit, 
He's saying, has been with you. Because he's, he's been in my earthly body, he is going through what I'm about to accomplish on the cross and through the resurrection. The, that same Holy Spirit will be inside of you. My friends, if you have received Jesus by faith, and he has become the Lord of your life, you have become born again, that same Spirit is inside of you, and the purpose of that Spirit is to cause you to experience and know and receive in a manifested way heaven now. And you may say, wow, that sounds like really great, man. That's like hyper-Christianity. I mean, that's like, like uber-Christianity. No, 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 no. That is the gospel. This is what Jesus came for. This thing is real. It's not just doctrine. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let me ask you, in the annals of history, how many moments do we know of where Jesus physically came to somebody who believed in him, as in like he manifested in bodily form on the earth? Anybody? No? I don't know of anyone. Paul went up into heaven. He encountered, a, he heard a voice out of heaven and he went into the third heaven. He says, if I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. My point being is that Jesus, his body went up and sat down at God's right hand. He is seated at the, his body is seated at the right hand of God. How is he saying that I will come to you? Because the spirit of God is the same spirit that is in Jesus. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are one. The Trinity dwells inside of you and me, assuming that we have placed our faith in Jesus. The Trinity dwells inside of us. This actually is good news. You can be stinking poor. And what I'm describing can come into your life and there are no ends to the possibilities of what God can do in your life because of what and who is inside of you. It's not your aptitude, it's not your education, it's not your social network, it is who is inside of you. That is how rebuilders of ruins are made out of the poor. Living spiritual connection is basic to the Isaiah 61 picture of the poor becoming a rebuilder. It's basic. It is basic to the Isaiah 61 picture of the broken hearts being bound. The brokenness, because remember it starts with the... I'm taking a risk to, to give you a pop quiz. It starts with the heart. The whole thing starts with the heart. And the healing of the heart begins not just just with the message of the gospel, the spirit of God upon the message that causes you to have your eyes opened and to experience and encounter it in your heart, not just your head. Our heart healing is found in both believing good news and regular spiritual encounter. Let's just say a couple thoughts about this, and we're going to facilitate something of encounter this morning. I just want to point out that the essence of the entirety of Jesus' life was simply encounter of God with man. That's what it was. In other words, Jesus being God, become flesh, the whole thing was God coming to encounter humanity. That's the idea of Jesus. And if you may remember Isaiah 7, 14, chapter 7, verse 14, 800 years before Jesus would ever come into the earth, 800 years before anybody would know what you and I commonly know, that Jesus of Nazareth was born apparently of a virgin called Mary with a, I guess we could say adopted father, Joseph, adopted whatever and uh, he was raised in Nazareth, and, and he was born of a virgin. We, we all know that because, you know, we heard it in Sunday school. Well, 800 years ago in Isaiah, he didn't know that, and yet he prophesied that, behold, the virgin shall bear a son, and he shall be named Emmanuel. 
And the name Emmanuel simply means translated God with us. Now, his name is not Emmanuel. The idea there of name is actually his reputation, his glory, what he is known by. His name is Jesus, meaning salvation. But what he is known by, his identity, the core of his identity is God with us. Are you starting to catch this? This is more than just God out there and I somehow believe what I'm supposed to believe and I receive it and I make the confession and I make the transaction of salvation and I can become a a Christian and I'll go to heaven one day when I die. No, 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 no. The whole idea is the God out there penetrates and surrounds and consumes and is all around with us. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not going to describe more of why we're using the word Word to describe Jesus. Just to introduce the idea that clearly we're referring to Jesus when we say the Word. And if you drop down to verse 14, John's still talking about the Word, and he says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling or another way of translating could, could say he tabernacled, just like the Old Testament tabernacle was the place in which the Holy of Holies was, the presence of God that no man had access to, only the high priest once a year could go in, and even he had to tie something around his ankle that if the sin that he had committed was bad enough, he might die while in the Holy of Holies. Nobody had access to the sincere, real presence of God. Jesus, the presence of God, incarnate became a man and he tabernacled among us in other words we didn't go into the holy of holies the holy of holies broke out and came to us you following we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth That's the idea, is that Him encountering us causes us to not just know about His glory. (laughs) There's a huge difference between being able to articulate the doctrine of the glory of God, that He is full of light and in Him is no shadow of turning. And to say, I don't know how to tell you, but I have seen His glory. I believe Mickey on a hospital bed with cancer, potentially terminal, turning his heart to the Lord, had an encounter with God, the love of God. He saw love in color form. He encountered God. That's seeing the glory of God. No preacher can preach a message out of the book of Hebrews and cause him to have a story like that. He encountered something of the Spirit. Now, while we're not talking about fantastic things being the essence of our faith, Even Paul said that he didn't want to preach, the Apostle Paul, that he didn't want to preach the wisdom of man, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but it came in demonstration and power of the Spirit that your faith would rest in the power of God. Did that make sense? I hope it did. What I'm saying is even the Apostle Paul wanted the church to have encounter, not just message, We've got to have encounter. Your heart will never be gripped and connected with God but by encounter. You can have all the message of his love. It's somehow encountering his love that makes the difference. So Jesus is, he's the word of God. Remember John said he's the word, he was with God and he was God. Jesus is God's living communication to us. Jesus is God showing himself to us. Remember those fig leaves? God initiated the solution not by saying, get those fig leaves off. God initiated the solution by coming to us with no fig leaves and saying, here I am. This is me. You can't even see me. I'm really a spirit, and you can't even see me. So I'm actually going to become one of you just so that you can somehow see me. I'm going to come in the the form of my son so that you can see me. I'm going to reveal there are no fig leaves here. This is it. Study me, see me, I'm not hiding anything. 
so that the human soul could see the love of God and say, you know what, I'm taking my fig leaves off too, God. Here I am. I confess. I need you. So Jesus was the encounter with God, and I'll just say this other point. The church, how many of you are the church? The church started with an encounter that is so huge. Let's not think that how we started somehow doesn't matter anymore. It started with an encounter of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, you can look at Acts chapter 2, the first seven verses. If You'll flip over there, John David. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, this is where the church, in essence, birthed. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of the violent wind, of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, look at this, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. There's a huge difference between knowing and believing, which they did, that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had seen him, they had encountered him, they had talked to him after having risen from the dead. They believed it. Huge difference between that and this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what that really means. How do you physically describe what that even means? But I, I know I like it. And I know it's not insignificant. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit did not just kind of remain some cerebral thing that was like in my personal life with Jesus. I have my personal thing. No, 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 no. That Holy Spirit having filled them resulted in an action. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit causes manifestation. Sometimes you love your own preaching. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I, if you just go on, I'm not going to read it all for time's sake right now. It goes on to say all these people, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. I guess I am going to read it. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I want you to see that picture, that the Holy Spirit filling believers caused those very same believers to obviously have an encounter. I can't imagine that what they were experiencing was not with feelings, was not in some way impacting their emotions. Is that safe to say? It was, they were feeling something. They were encountering something, but the result of it was that other people were beginning to see something that would have never happened but by the Spirit. Because each one heard in their own language being spoken, utterly amazed and asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is that each of us hears them in our own native language? The church encounters the Spirit so that through them, the world will also. That is an AKA of poor becoming a rebuilder. That's how it happens. The Spirit. Uh, what we're saying this morning is that encounter by means of a heart sincerely turning to the Lord, coming to the end of yourself in areas that are poor inside of your heart, no longer trying to do your own self-program management. I've got this thing. I'm a Christian. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to ask... God to somehow sovereignly take care of it. No, no. Coming to God and recognizing your true condition and inviting him in, that thing creating an environment where the spirit of God actually can manifest, that is key. It's foundational to what we are called to as a church. Not Border City Church, the church of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to close your eyes if you would. We are going to talk a little bit more, but right now I just want to ask you just to close your eyes. I want you to, without thinking of this as hokey, whatever, hokey, weird spirituality, this is basic, 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 that God, the same God who is upon Jesus, the same God who breathed life into Adam, 
and made him into a living being. The same God who raised up Jesus from the dead, that spirit that Jesus said, God is a spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That same God is right with you. He's wanting you. He's wanting to encounter. Can you just acknowledge his presence right now? If you want to open up your hands to him to symbolize your receiving of him, if you want to raise your hands in adoration, if you want to fall to your knees, whatever it may be, I want to ask you to perform a faith step. This is not before people. Everyone's eyes are closed. This is not before people. This is between you and God. But if you desire encounter, you're saying, God, I want more encounter. I want to ask you in his presence to stand to your feet Sometimes faith steps are just necessary. I can't explain it, but there's something of power released when you do something in response to some, the truth that's come before you. And as you're standing there, I want you to talk to him about it. Bear your heart. Release your faith. Just ask. It's a, it's a powerful thing. It's a dangerous thing that you ask, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes when you just say, God, I want, I want to encounter you. I'm not satisfied without encounter of you. I'm not satisfied to go on in my Christian life without manifested presence, real something with you. I'm not satisfied. And you know what? I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not leaving here without it. Awesome. We're just going to end it. We're going to hit pause there. You can, you can be seated. I'm going to give more opportunity in just a few minutes, but I just want to say a couple other thoughts. You good? Everybody good? No one's good? All right. Thank you, Mickey. Two other thoughts before I just want to share some things in a very um, kind of uh, active way about how to, how to, how to engage encounter with, with God. But encountering God is the basis of true heart healing. And just to share two thoughts. One is that encounter with God brings what the scriptures refer to as refreshing Encounter with God brings refreshing. Now, I know a lot of us may not use that word a lot. We don't say, like, man, I really need to be refreshed. I'm going to go pray. I need refreshing. Uh, we drink liquid when we're thirsty and call that refreshing. This, but, but let's look at that a bit. The encounter with God brings refreshing. refreshing. If you look with, Acts, with me to Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Thank you, John David. It says, uh, at the preaching of the gospel, this is just after the day of Pentecost. The next day, Peter and John were going uh, to pray with a group of people at the temple. They saw a lame man. He was begging, asking for funds. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I, ha have I none. I don't have any silver and gold for you, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And this lame man who had been there for decades and everyone knew him, he's that lame beggar who begs for food because he doesn't have a physical body that's capable of working and generating income, so we, he lives off of donations. And uh, we've seen him for years. He's leaping and praising God. That's uh, manifested presence, wouldn't you agree? He's leaping and praising God, and that provides an atmosphere for Peter and John to tell this growing crowd who are all coming to see this beggar who's leaping around praising God and he's obviously been healed and he's, they start to preach the gospel. And at the end of that gospel message, this is what G, uh, Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that 
times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It does not say so that you can have an exchange with God to ensure that you go to heaven and not to hell when you die. Peter is suggesting that what Jesus accomplished at the cross and your faith in Him does not just cause you to go to heaven, it causes something of heaven and the presence of heaven to come to you. And that when it comes, it brings this thing that he refers to as refreshing. That sounds like good news to me. And that he may send Jesus Christ. And I asked earlier, how many of you know of an encounter where Jesus Christ in physical human body has returned to the church since he ascended? He hasn't. So what is the Bible talking about? What's Peter talking about that he's going to send Jesus? Who was preached to you before, he's talking about sending the Spirit. Are you starting to believe with me the need for the Spirit of God to be active in your heart? If you look at that word presence, the presence of the Lord, that word simply means face or countenance. It is to say that God will come to you face to face, that He will see His face, that you, it will be like an intimate encounter. I don't have an intimate encounter with my wife if we just kind of like, you know, looking here and she's looking over there. There's something intimate that happens when we see each other face to face. There's something of a vulnerability that happens. There's something of a vulnerability that happens with eye contact. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen somebody who, who like doesn't make eye contact? You don't trust them. Because there's something about not making eye contact that says I'm hiding something. There's something about face to face where the fig leaves have been removed. I can trust you because I, I, all your, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You, I, you, there's, you're bearing all. And that's what the scripture is saying here. You will receive times of refreshing in the face-to-face encounter with the Lord. In the repentance that happens, that Peter called us to, that is removing the fig leaves and saying, I have sin and I need you to fix that. I need you to forgive me. I need healing. It's removing your fig leaf and in response, you encounter the face-to-face with him. Repenting and turning, removal of the fig leaves causes us to encounter him. And that word refreshing would mean revival, the recovering of breath. Remember, God spoke into Adam and breathed life into him and he became a living being. It's, it's that breath that, of the Spirit of God and the word for spirit of, uh, in the Hebrew language actually means breath, ruach, breath. And when God breathed into Adam, he became a living being, which is to say that he had a spirit. Unlike Kylo, sorry, he had a spirit. And in the receiving of Jesus, that same breath blows, not physical breath, the spirit inside of us, encounter. And he will send Jesus Christ. And secondly, so encounter with God brings refreshing, and refreshing means revival, recovering of breath, coolness. I could even say, like with Tamora, she testified earlier, I, and she shared with us in community group on Wednesday, Thursday, that in the midst of that trauma, tra- potentially traumatizing circumstances, her heart was moved, not in some super spiritual, like, this is too big for me, so I'm just not going to do anything and God's going to take care of it. Not like in some kind of like laziness that we call it spirituality to make it sound good. You know what I'm saying? She was, Lord, what do you want? Lord, here I am. Lord, what do you, and, and the Lord confirming inside of her, you're in a situation that you can't. I've put you in this situation. You can't do anything. You've got to trust in me. And I can verify she was at peace. You know what that is? Having connected with God. Refreshing. Not based on circumstances, based on encounter. You following? Secondly, encounter, and lastly, encounter brings fullness of joy. If you look at Psalm 1611, so good. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, a lot of the Christians that I've met, I wouldn't describe them as living a life of pleasures forevermore. Most of them seem grumpy because they're, they're trying to get through life in their sin management course. Because they're living in compromise, because they've never experienced the love that comes through encounter with the Spirit. And they're trying to earn desperately God's favor, salvation, God's love, because they know they're not measuring up when in fact it's not ever going to be about that. It's about receiving love. And as you do, your heart gets smitten and you begin to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you start living more righteous. Not so that he loves you, because he loves you. But it begins with encounter, and encounter begins with the heart. And in the presence of God is fullness of joy. There was a moment not too long ago where there was somebody who was doing some stuff and, uh, and it was very subtle and it was difficult to put your finger on it and it was hard to detect and you couldn't actually say this is what you're doing, but nonetheless there was some stuff going down in the way that they were treating me that was uh, causing problems. And I was very burdened by it. And, uh, and have you ever, ever had one of those things where it's like somebody's just, it's like conflict in your life with some person and, you, and it's unresolved. And, and I don't know about you, but all of us have different buttons that you can push. For me, it was like this encounter. They, they were try, it was kind of manipulative what they were doing, trying to control me and kind of angry at me. And there was that kind of stuff, but it was like I hadn't done anything wrong. And, it was just, and, I, and I had this heavy, heavy burden feeling ever had those feeling? It's like a cold feeling. And it's like unresolved. And this thing, I know it needs to be dealt with. And I just began, and I was praying. I was praying in the spirit. I was praying in other tongues. Still feeling cold, icy, burden feeling. And then it was just like, as I did, I just felt, because I was pacing in front of my bed. Pacing as I did. And I was like, the Lord just said, you can stop now. And I just stopped. Remember, I put my hands out. I said, okay, I actually don't know how to pray so I just kind of presenced myself. And I immediately just began to sense his presence. And then as I began to sense his presence, it was like the spirit of God began to illuminate to me his perspective of what was going down in that relationship. And I felt like I began to see, the, the, the spirit of God began to give me a spirit of discernment. That I began to discern what was happening. Like spiritual stuff that was happening. And as that happened, I began to pray and I began to rebuke spirits, spiritual stuff. All of a sudden, it went from being about that person to not even being about that person. That person is not my enemy. It's the spiritual stuff that's trying to rob me and destroy something of what God wants to do in my life. And I began to rebuke this thing and I began to see it for what it was. It was like clarity began to happen. And I began to see it's not about this person. It's this it's this thing, and I took authority over it, and I said, I am not going to submit to this fill-in-the-blank with this demonic thing, and I'm not going to submit, and I began to pray, pray against it, and the presence of God began to release that burden lifted. That's supernatural. I didn't cerebrally, if that's a word, arrive at that place. I didn't figure it out. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, I'm walking around blind. Holy Spirit inside of me will shed light on things that I cannot see on my own. He shows me, and through me, he's able to do what he needs to do so that I'm strong and refreshed, and I began to feel joy. And I actually began laughing. Some of you think I'm a flake by now. That's okay. I Just in the presence of God, it was like I felt the Spirit of God inside of me, just a release of laughter. And it was joy. In fact, some of you have seen me break out and... and a similar thing of laughter before. It's a little scary, isn't it? But it's real. It's joy. Can I ask you to close your eyes? Again? Do you want encounter? I believe when you boil it all down to this, my friends, it all boils down to this as far as the presence of God, encounter with God, the spirit of God, manifested presence of God, it's simply this, agreement with heaven. 
when God finds on earth a heart that will not hide, that will, will not make excuses, that will not try to cover over, that will not try to blame that wife that you gave me, blame the devil, blame, blame shift, but will agree with heaven. Agreement with heaven releases. Agreement in the heart on earth will release the presence of heaven. If you want the presence of God, just be willing to agree with heaven. And the first part of agreeing with heaven is receiving what Jesus has done. Receiving Jesus. I'm going to read a scripture to us. If you can just keep your eyes closed and just receive right now the presence of God with you. Revelations 3.20 says this. Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is standing. He said he was. He's standing at your door. What door? The door of your heart. And if anyone, not the pastor, not the pope, anyone, if anyone will hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in to him and dine, which is to say have face-to-face encounter, intimacy, and he with me. He's standing at your door. Can you just... Receive him right now. Receive. 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 Receive his presence. Receive him as he is. God made us in his image, and ever since the fall, we've been trying to make him into our image. If you receive Jesus, you've got to receive him as who he is, not who you are comfortable with, who you want him to be. Can you open up your heart wide and say, Jesus, I receive you as you are. Thank you, Lord. I just want to pray over some of us and just want to encourage you just to remain where you are. Engage with Jesus face to face right here, right now. Just receive. Receive of his goodness. Receive him. And I just want to pray as we're doing that. Father, I thank you that you gave us more than a message. You gave us, you poured out your spirit. And the hearts that are in this room that are moved in this moment by faith saying, I want, I want that thing you're describing, I want that. I want more of that. I'm hungry. I want more than just head truth. I want heart connection. I want spiritual reality. Father, I'm praying in the name of Jesus 
in the authority of the name of your Son, Holy Spirit, bring about encounter with the presence of God, even right here, right now. Even right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, there, there is something of the laying on of hands. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is that the Bible instructs us to do it. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. Told us to do it as a means of transferring something. And if you're desiring, if there's something, a, a chord being struck inside of your heart and you're like, I want more of this and would like hands laid upon you, uh, to prayer for a stirring up in a greater dimension of this. Just somebody to agree with you. Um, I'd like to ask just if, if Minda or Nita or Rodney could be prepared uh, to pray and or with me. If anybody, if you just want to stand up, just like we did before, uh, saying that I would like hands laid upon me just to pray and agree for a greater dimension of this. That's awesome. 